brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Army Ranger and Green Beret, Jack Murphy. Good riddance. Hasta lasagna. Don't get any on ya. And now, here's your civilian co-host and producer of this operation, Ian Scottell. telling General Tata that, um, you know, with the live stream stuff, I've been making sure that we share it on all these platforms, so that's why it takes a while to get all this stuff done. And then i got to turn that off. All right. With that, SoftRep.com, on time, on target, General Tony, AJ Tata in studio with me. And the cool thing I was going to say is that you were one of our first guests in the in the newer studio. That's right. And you're one of the first signatures on there. Yeah. Uh, as you that. can see behind here. Yeah. And now these have been signed by all these different people from Brad Thor to Chris Peranto, um, Rob O'Neill. So it's cool. But, you know, it's great to have you back on. Yeah, it's great to be back. And I was proud to be one of the first signers and proud to be up there with all those uh, great names and great Americans and patriots that uh, have come in here. You guys uh, have really expanded and grown your media empire here. And I think it's fantastic. Thank you. I I appreciate it. So the main reason that General Tata is here, you know, First of all, you are pumping out books at, at like every such a every quick six speed. months. I'll tell you what, yeah, it's it's been hectic pace, but uh, I, I love it. And I always wanted to be a fiction novelist, and here I'm. This is my eighth book coming out, Direct Fire, and it's the fourth in the Jake Mahegan series from uh, Kinsinger Books, and it's a it's a great story about uh, really cyber warfare and uh, you know Jake Mahegan, our former Delta Force operative, who is the protagonist in the in the story um, in all the Mahegan novels. They're standalone novels. Yeah. He has to go find uh, his uh, captured JSOC commander who has been uh, kidnapped and uh, being held uh, somewhere in uh, western North Carolina. And uh, there's some cyber war going on with uh, some hackers from uh, Bulgaria that uh, were involved in uh, Syrian part of the war. And, and uh, they were victims of an errant bombing run approved by Mahegan's old boss. So there's a lot at play here. And it's uh, it's get, getting great reviews from all the Publishers Weekly, Booklist, all, all the standard review houses. So I, I look forward to you know reader feedback on it. And uh, Besieged, the book preceding... Which I was looking yeah, back, we yeah, have over right, there. Right. Besieged... I was like, did it come out late 2016? No, no it came no. out this March, year. Right. So yeah, you're just right. coming out so yeah. quick. And, and uh, Publishers Weekly picked Besiege as a top 10 uh, thriller of so mystery cool. of 2017. So uh, that that book did very well, and, and Direct Fire is right on its heels. And I just turned in The Fire and the Fury, uh, which will be in October uh, 2018 release. So... Uh, staying busy with all, all of this. Yeah, the interesting thing I was going to say is um, Kensington has uh, has a few really cool military thrillers that come out. What I didn't realize until you know I started to become more familiar with Kensington Publishing, and we were at the party that they had here in New York earlier in the That's year. Right? Yeah, great party. Is great. that you and Anderson Harp 
are kind of like on your own because there's a lot of romance, you know, novels <laughs> and that type of thing. And then you and Anderson and a few other guys. Yeah, Mark Cameron, Mark who does Cameron. Uh, the Tom Clancy's. And then you got John Gilstrap that uh, writes uh, the great uh, um, uh, books that he writes. And, and so you've got, you've got a few really, um, you know, mainstream thriller authors that uh, are, have huge followings. Uh, Kinzenden is a great publisher. Absolutely. And, and they, they, they put these books out and put a lot of support behind their authors. It is funny though, just cause I go to their Instagram and it's like a lot of these <laughs> novels that appeal to like a female romance, sure. you know, novel audience. But then you and Anderson and these other guys are putting out these really badass thriller books that appeal to the people who want to read Brad Ford I'll, stuff. I'll and, tell you my, my demographic is about 45% female because they love, um, Jaden Mahegan, the six and a half foot tall Native American, and they're all picturing the Rock or you know someone like that as as uh, Jake, and and uh, you know kind of like you know Lee Child's following is uh, he's got uh, at least fifty percent uh, female following because they all love Jack Reacher. I, I I see some of that with what's happening with uh, Jake Mahegan as well. Do you think that might be a response to we've talked about it on the podcast this whole cracking down on masculinity and you know toxic masculine energy and there are women who want to read about these badass guys who are heroes yeah i I think there's some of that and also with jake if you get into his background and and his uh backstory uh really the number one thing that sets him off is that when someone treats women badly and so uh jake uh you know he he has a hair trigger temper uh Sometimes he'll just let loose on if, if he finds out that someone has treated someone he cares about badly. And it's part of his backstory about uh, how his mother was treated uh, when by, by a road crew uh, when he was 14 years old and comes home and, and finds his mom. And this is, I don't want to give away any sure, sure. part of any of the stories, but uh, uh, he's, uh, that's, that's Jake's background. And so he, he has a, a duty uh, one of his vigilante duties is to make sure women are okay and, and protect them. Not that they can't protect themselves, but if there's somebody that is, uh, you know, doing something wrong to a, to a woman, then then uh, Jake Jake tries to take care of the problem. Since since we're live streaming, I know a lot of people will be listening later on the podcast. Um, but since we're live streaming this right now, you could follow General Tata at ajtata.com. You could follow on Twitter at AJ Tata and on Instagram at AJ Tata underscore author. And to give you some background on General Tata, General Tata is a former Army Brigadier General. And then you turn to, to becoming a military fiction writer, which That's I think right. is interesting because you're seeing so many of these guys putting out memoirs and that type right. of thing. And you transitioned to doing the fiction thing. Was it inspired by guys like Brad Thor or Brad Meltzer? Or? Well, you know, I, I've always wanted to be a fiction author. It's one of those dreams Ian I had as a kid. I'd, I'd come home from book fair day and have an armload of books and uh, always get lost in the stories. And I got to wondering when I was a teenager, how how is this author capturing my attention and, and writing the story and keeping me guessing and keeping me turning the pages. And so I started studying how to write and I always wanted to write. And, and so, well, I could certainly write a memoir and all of that. And it would be uh, very interesting. I think 
Uh, right now, I'm I'm uh, focused on uh, fiction. I've got uh, a couple more books to write, and you know, three or four more coming out. Four more coming out uh, from uh, both Kensington and St. Martin's Press uh, that I co-author with uh, Nick Irving. So yeah, which we will get uh, into. Yeah, we'll we had Nick on recently, yeah. and Nick is a friend of mine, friend of the shows. He, I've known him for years at this point. Yeah. He's just an all-around great guy. And doing very positive things right now. He opened up uh, on the podcast about, you know, kind of turning his life around in some ways. That's right. And uh, we'll get into that. But I was wondering, do you intend to keep the Jake Mahegan series going for several years? As, as long as Kensington will keep signing me to contracts and the books books keep selling well, I, I want to keep Jake Mahegan uh, alive. I, you know, we've got, as I mentioned, we've got Fire and Fury coming out in the October, November time frame of 18. And then uh, there's a book six uh, beyond that. So that would be book five, Fire and Fury. And book six, 72 hours is uh, scheduled beyond that. So that would be six Mahegan books and uh, that uh, I'm under contract for. And then we'll see what happens after that. How do you get these out so quickly? Like, how do you manage to, first of all, come up with the idea for the next book, you know, and, and make it a good idea that you know people are going to want to read that's not going to be repetitive of the previous right. books. And then, you know, writing a book like this, it, it it's a hard job. It takes a long time. Yeah. Well, you got to produce. Uh, you know, nobody's, uh, a fairy is not going to come down and write yeah. the book for you. And so you've got to... For some uh, guys. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> uh, they call it button seat time, right? So you got to write, uh, you know, for me, I, I, I need to be doing a thousand words a day. So if you think of the average uh, fiction thriller, about uh, 90 to 100,000 words, that's three-ish, four months uh, where you've you've got a rough draft and then you take a couple of months to polish it and then you turn it in. That's, that's kind of the, the, the grind that you're on. And, and for me, the creative aspect, uh, when, when I know, uh, when, when it starts to gel for me, I'm, I'm driving to act the act one finish act two finish and then the finale and, and transitioning between those acts and, and trying to have good, exciting conflict and tension in the book. And, and to me, that's the fun part is, is surprising myself even because you get inside the character's head, Jake Mahegan or the antagonist or the love interest, and you try to get inside their head. And they, they actually do things, they tell you to do things that you might not have thought of. And, and I know that sounds a little strange, but you're it's like acting. You're inside that person's head and you're saying, well, actually, Jake Mahegan would do this. And he just drives the story. Or actually, the the bad guy in Besiege, Darius Mirza, would do this. And and uh, you know, there's some some great uh, characters in Direct Fire as well. So for for me, it's a thousand words a day, and I've got a rough draft. And where I get the ideas from, I spent a lifetime in uh, thinking about what's the worst thing the enemy can do to my soldiers. Lots of operational deployments, combat time, that kind of thing. And then I had to, as a commander, think creatively. How do I stop that from happening? How do I get on the offensive against the enemy? How do I protect my soldiers? And so now I, I do a lot of reading, uh, different, you know, from Wired magazine, different, you know, technology stuff, or, you know, People magazine, everything. And I, th- I, you know, stumble across something, and I'll say, autonomous cars. What's the worst thing that the enemy could do? to us with autonomous cars. And that's kind of the... I'm sure there's a lot. That, yeah, there's a lot. And, and that's part of, you know, a central plot of Besiege for uh, direct fire. You know, what's the worst thing that someone could do with uh, the technology and the hacking and the cyber capability and 
did did you know that we we move nuclear uh, weapons around in Mack trucks? Well, mm-hmm. and we so and those schedules are published somewhere on secure internet, but how secure is the internet nowadays? And so that's that's kind of a central th- theme of of uh, direct fire. You, of course, have the Army background, but sure. do you ever meet with hackers to see how they, you know, the language they use or anything like that, you know, when you talk about that type of thing? Yeah, I, I've met with uh, people who are very good at uh, uh, moving around the Internet. I'm not sure they would appreciate being called hackers. but We, we have people <laughs> at, at SOFREP who, who would, you know, call themselves hackers. Yeah, okay, well, good. And we have yeah. hackers at the government, yeah, you know, right, I and mean, we exactly. need to. Right, right. Um, yes, I've met with them. Because what I was wondering is, you know, we had Brad Thorne here. Brad Thorne is amazing at his craft, of yeah. course. Does Brad's not a great have, friend. Yeah, and does not have a military background, much like myself. Um, so he talked about he'll meet with Marcus Luttrell and his brother and say, like, hey, would a Navy SEAL really say this? Does this dialogue seem right? right. Um, just to make sure that what he's putting out is authentic. For you, I feel like it, it might be a little quicker because you have the Army background. Right. But I was guessing there's probably some people you need to meet with to say, like, is Mahegan going to come off as authentic? You're right. Uh, there's that. And so I have lots of friends from uh, the JSOC community, and, and so I, I bounce ideas off of them. Uh, plus... Uh, the you know for example in besieged uh i there's one of the main characters points of view of the story is a 11 year old autistic girl who is a code writer hacker uh and her dad is the internet um technology guy uh information technology guy for the autonomous car company and she sits in the basement she can't really speak that well but she's got this genius brain and so i i created this 11 year old hacker uh, autistic girl and I gave the draft copy of the book to the North Carolina Autism Society president and the Wake County which is basically Raleigh and 11 other cities and where I had been superintendent before and they read the book and they said you know you got her about 95% right I would do this I would do this so I always sort of factor particularly it was a leap for me I did so much research on autism and that kind of thing and I thought I got her about right and and turns out I did and in direct fire with uh, the cyber warfare you know I talked to different cyber geniuses and and hackers and and uh, turns out you know you can do a lot you know you've heard stories about uh, over the air uh, all the Cherokees being doors unlocked the and the the you know what happens there somebody can unlock the door of of a hundred thousand Cherokee jeep vehicles and you know your purse is in there your wallet's in there you know your credit cards are in there or whatever and I I was reading an article on this and I said well what if they could actually plan a Trojan, a remote access Trojan in there and just make the car stop Sure. at a certain time. We, we have a writer for the site, Corey Alanis, who probably would be able to get into some of that with you. Because what I thought was interesting, I didn't realize until he was on that there's an annual, I mean, there's a, there's a conference for everything in Vegas. You know, there's SHOT Show coming up. There's like pharmaceuticals. Right, sure. I didn't realize there was a hacking convention. There's Black Hat and another one. And I remember I was reading the articles on it. 
and they hacked a voting machine. That was like the big thing that right. they did at the hacking conference this year, which is pretty scary stuff to think. Right. You know, so I'm sure that there's so much that could be done with cars that you're researching and that right. go into this. Well, and, and so that it's not only that, but the, you know, financial, you know, Bank of America, you know, all the phishing scheme, not just Bank of America, mm-hmm. several different banks generically. Uh, and the, the I call it United Bank of America. That's my fictional bank in direct fire. But, you know, there's a hacking scheme going on there. And, and it's sort of this decapitation effort uh, the, through... Uh, the vehicles through bank accounts and just trying to basically impact the economy and create confusion because Mahegan has this saying and, and he figures it out. This is part of the mystery among many, one, and that's an old Croatan saying. And so if you want to create confusion and, and do one thing, do a million things and then do that one thing in the middle of the million things that you're doing. And that's that's exactly what's happening in direct fire is that there's so much going on, but there's only one thing that the antagonists really want to happen. And and they're they're trying to make that happen and they they do. They're successful in, in making it happen. So this audience watching uh, the live stream right now, listening to the podcast, loves Nick Irvin. He's definitely one of the most popular guests sure. on the show. Um, and just an all-around great guy. So Reaper Ghost Target, which you're co-writing with him, comes out May 8th. Protagonist of the book is Vic the Reaper Harwood, which Nick kind of hinted at <laughs> that it might be loosely based off him. Uh, loosely. <laughs> Same uh, nickname. And uh, so this is the first time Nick is working on a fiction novel. That's right. And he's working with you. Um, I heard a little bit from him, his perspective on this, but I'd, lo- I'd love to hear from you. How did you hook up with Nick, and how did the idea come about? Well, we have the same agent, and so the agent said, why don't the general and the sergeant write a book together, and why don't we do a fiction series spinoff, because his autobiography was so well done and uh, so popular. That, had two. Yeah, yeah, right. His first two autobiography ones, yeah. and then The Way of the Reaper after yep. that. And the, the first book, you know, spent four or five, six weeks on the New York Times bestseller yeah. list. And, and, you know, people love Nick because he's got this great story. And, and he, you know, fought for our country. And he's, he's an in-the-dirt sniper. And he's a very humble man. And so the, our agent connected us. And Nick and I riffed for about two hours on ideas and then we got to work, and it was very quick. Uh, me listening to him, him listening to me, and a great teamwork. We gelled, we clicked right away. Just two guys that uh, really love create creation. You know, he's an actor now, yep. and, and and so business owner. Yeah, yeah, owns right. Chick Fil A. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's doing a lot of things. Yeah, he is, and uh, he's uh, he's a cre- he's a creative though. He's he's got a creative mind. He does. And, yeah, and so and Nick and and you know I love Nick. He's such a good guy, and and we worked so closely on this book together, and we came up with the you know this idea that uh, you know the and the very opening scene of the of the book, uh, he's in a sniper hide in Afghanistan trying to get his nemesis, the real life nemesis from. Uh, his autobiography, the Chechen, and so I carried that over. We carried that over as uh, as we were writing the book, and and we said, look, let's let's make the Chechen the antagonist in the first book, and that way people who have read the the autobiography will then will then see potentially how something could have played out, and and we thought it was a great segue from the autobiography to to the fiction novel. 
And so there's uh, there's a two book contract right now with St. Martin's, and nice. hopefully we'll we'll have you know many many more. That's cool. Yeah, I, I was hinting at it before. Um, you know, if you guys haven't listened back to the latest episode with Nick Irving, a very open guy, and and he was very candid about you know all these guys he's seen who are army rangers with soldier suicide and and all this terrible stuff going on. And he said on the podcast, the common thread between all of them was alcohol abuse. And he's like, I realized I had to get my life in order. And I I could tell you, he's just at a really great place now has always been a great guy, but I think now he's like ready to take things to the next level, do new creative things. Um, and I think the fact that he's written two autobiographies, he actually wrote more, but two major published autobiographies, right. he wants to move on to something different and, and be creative, as you said. Yeah, and I think I think this is it for him and us, and I, I think we're a great team, and, and uh, you know, hopefully there there's some Hollywood interest uh, we know in this uh, fiction series, so you, you never know what, what can spin off out of, out of that very first book that, that he did, uh, his autobiography. Yeah, I mean, there's Hollywood interest in that. He talked about that on the show. Originally, yeah. it was going to be a TV series on NBC, right. um, which was going to be produced by Jay-Z. That's pretty damn cool. Right. And now it's going to be a major motion picture, and I, I can't wait to see that. And, it you know, there's no one who deserves it more than him. Right. Yeah, he's just a salt-of-the-earth great guy. And, 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 you know, he's like so many of our soldiers. He, he is just a humble public servant that wanted to defend our country and do his part. And, and that's what Nick Irving is and, and always will be. And, and I'm proud to call him a friend and a, and a co-author. So what do you think is the difference for someone like Nick, who's an experienced author at this point, but now has to write fiction? Even if it is based on him, it's a, it's a different ballgame, I would assume. Yeah, you know, you, you want to... Uh, the, the basic job now is to entertain, as, as opposed to with uh, autobiography, what you're really doing is telling your personal story. And, and it may be enter, entertaining, but it, it has to adhere to what this personal story is, and people will be the judge of whether or not that's entertaining. It turns out that Nick's, Nick's combat adventures were very, very entertaining for, for people uh, who, who enjoy reading that kind of um, you know, nonfiction. And so now fiction is purely in the entertainment business. And so people have a limited amount of entertainment dollars that they spend on movies or books or, you know, whatever uh, their uh, choice of entertainment is. And so you've got to be their first choice for entertainment as a fiction author. And that's, that's really what I've learned after eight books is that you know, you've just got to continue to press ahead and, and provide the most entertainment, the most interesting, the most thrilling, the most action if you're in this genre that's what people want is action. They want t- tension. They want suspense. They want mystery, and they want to f- they want to be sweating as they're reading, and and uh, they just you know want to be up all night. You know they don't want to be up all night, but they they wind up all night you know because they don't want to put the book down. That, and that's that's the job of a fiction uh, author. And and Nick's learned that really well because the real book spy who's uh, the uh, one of the leading authorities on thrillers and mysteries now has uh, got an advanced reader copy of, of Reaper Ghost Target and really is uh, saying it's one of the best books he's read of for ever plus 2018. So, nice. so we're looking forward to that. And, and he gave rave reviews to Direct Fire as well. So um, that, you know, Ray, the, the reviews on Direct Fire have been uh, out of this world. And, and I'm, I'm excited about this. And I'm excited about uh, working with Nick also. 
Our audience is going to dig it. We're going to get into some current affairs stuff, but, uh, you know, as I said, I want to look at what you guys are asking. We're broadcasting on not just Facebook live stream. We are, we're also doing YouTube through the restream thing. And now we're doing Twitch, which I'm still learning about. Uh, I, you know, I'm trying to get a following on Twitch. So if you're on Twitch, get on there. I know it's mainly uh, gamers, but we're trying to do something new and get a new audience. So I'm looking at the questions here. Grant Shearer tends to be in our live streams a lot, which we appreciate. Good question from Grant watching on YouTube. Um, have you ever written content that featured experimental or wishful technology tactics or viewpoints that you threw at the wall to see what sticks? or maybe for direct, indirect feedback? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, way back in uh, a previous series, I was writing uh, the threat series, Rogue Threat. Uh, I was reading about uh, nanotechnology swarming as uh, through the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, and, and, and there was no such thing at the time. It was just this concept, and it turns out that you know, besieged and even direct fire apply uh, some of that because it's real live technology today. And you know some of some of the cyber warfare concepts in direct fire right now push the limits. But you know all the quote unquote hackers that I talked to said this is entirely possible and this could be done. And and so as you think of it and you think, well, there's no way that that could possibly happen, then then all of a sudden you talk to an expert and you, they say, well, actually, that's happening or that's about to happen. And, and so it, it's you're, you're, the mind, if, if your mind is thinking of it, Somebody so, somebody's is. thought of it, right? Sure. And no matter how creative you are, you know, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of smart people out there that are thinking their way through some of these things and, and trying to figure out, you know, solutions to problems and trying to figure out how to exploit systems. And, and that's why when we think, we we'll look at cyber warfare and direct fire and that kind of thing with China and even Iran, you know, who would have thought Iran was a leading cyber warfare expert and North Korea stealing, you know, about 50 gigs of a war plan from South Korea. They did that. And so now that that's, uh, you know, about six months ago, there was this assassination plan and all that that North Korea allegedly uh, took from the South Korean servers. How are they getting into the, some of these most secure servers? And, and so that's w one of the areas that I push uh, on in direct fire with cyber warfare. And everything that is supposed to be secure, these, you know, you, you know this, Ian, the hackers say, there's really nothing that you can't get into. Yeah, and we're, which, we're learning that every yeah, day. Which is pretty scary. Yeah, wiki emails, yeah, all this right. stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's actually a nice segue into a few different things. Um, WikiLeaks, we heard about Julian Assange being banned on Twitter. We'll get into that. Keep the questions coming, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get to what we can. We have a lot of great feedback, but uh, not as many questions. So if you have any questions, just uh, throw them out there. If they're good, we'll get to it. Um, getting into some some uh, current events, though, you were mentioning the North Korea stuff. What needs to be done with North Korea from your perspective? Because some people are saying we can no longer have diplomacy, but you know we don't want to be thrown into a whole other war over this. And um, uh, kind of a follow-up, do you think North Korea is truly a threat to the United States or just a threat to our allies like Japan? I, I think they're a threat to the United States and to our allies. I, you have to look at uh, both intent and capability. And uh, let's take Pakistan, for 
example. They have the capability of nuclear weapons, but they don't have a leader saying, I'm going to nuke the United States. Uh, India, same thing. And, and to an extent, China and Russia, they, they have the weapons. Now, you know, different scenario there because they have more and there's mutual shared destruction and, and all of that, which is what North Korea wants. They want mutual shared destruction. They want that status. And, and so... Uh, for, for me, when I look at the, the situation with North Korea, I see the current administration effectively applying the elements of national power to address this, the issue that has been kicked down the road. And, and I think that we can no longer kick this down the road because President Obama's national security strategy said we wanted a, a rules-based international order which and also a... Uh, they wanted to stop nuclear pro- proliferation. So that both pillars of that national security strategy, it's against the international law to create nuclear weapons if you're not a nuclear state. And so North Korea is violating international law, and they're also violating our precept of a uh, stopping uh, proliferation of weapons mass destruction. We didn't do anything about it then. We didn't do anything about it on the Bush administration. And, and the the... Clinton-Perry deal back in 1994 uh, is just like the Iran deal that uh, was done by the Obama administration. So we see where that got us with North Korea, and so we can look 20 years down the road and see where we might be with Iran. Now, having said all of that, there's diplomatic power, information power, military power, economic power, and so we just had a third 15-0 vote for increased sanctions. And I think we're leaving ourselves with each set of sanctions a little bit of runway to do a little bit more to keep the negotiations going. And I think that's a smart move. Uh, you know, we're, we're applying military power through shows of force, what we call flexible response or deterrent options, where we fly some B-1 bombers, we do military exercise uh, on the Korean Peninsula. I've been involved in those exercises. I've been in the DMZ. I know how tense the situation is up there. I was in the DMZ as a general. I was in the DMZ as a lieutenant and everything in between. And so... Uh, and which is, by the way, I should for the audience that might not know, it's demilitarized zone. We've talked yeah, about right. it before because... Uh, our editor-in-chief, Jack Murphy, has been there just as a journalist, but back to what you were saying. Yeah, so there, so there's that. But you've got Nikki Haley leading the diplomatic effort, and she's 15-0, votes. When Russia and China typically agree with us, they'll typically – they don't typically agree with us, but when they, when they do, they'll typically abstain. They won't vote yes. Here they voted yes three times, and – and that's Herculean work by the, this administration to get that kind of vote. Uh, and, and so to me, that's, that's a huge uh, diplomatic coup and win. Now, what, is, what are Russia and China doing on the ground? That's a whole different issue. A year ago, uh, January through March, first quarter of 17, China was a net, uh, had a net, 28% increase in trade with North Korea. Now, uh, you know, supposedly they've torqued that back, but Russia has been making up for a little bit. Now, these new sanctions go after oil, uh, ship-to-ship oil transfers and, and things that you know were sort of workarounds, uh, the coal transfers and all of that, and, and they, they crank down on that. And so and, and they make uh, within two-year period of time, so nothing's going to happen right away. 
uh, all the foreign workers must be out of North Korea. So that gives them and their families time to make other plans and get out. But that's, you know, a tough set of sanctions. And they're even in Kim Jong-un said it's an act of war. Well, of course it's an act of war. We've been at, at war, just not a hot war, not a shooting war. Uh, really, I, I mean, for several years when they, they've got intent and capability, they say we are going to nuke the United States. We are at war with the United States. I mean, I take them at their word. Why not? You know, never underestimate an enemy. And, and so the diplomatic and the information uh, elements of power, uh, you know, Kim Jong-un saying something and getting big, big splash in the press, then President Trump, Trump uh, tweeting uh, gets something in the, in the press. Uh, and, and that's the information warfare going back and forth, back and forth. And and um, then economic, you know, tightening down those sanctions. So that, that's the four elements of power. And I, I you know, the Sun Tzu and and Clausewitz and all them talk about the golden bridge. Never never corner the the opponent. Just always leave some golden bridge out, mm-hmm. and and so that they don't have to fight. And if we can build this thing such that we can uh, crank down on the sanctions, we can keep them isolated. We can build that golden bridge, whatever that looks like for Kim Jong-un. Maybe he stays in power but gives up nukes. Uh, but there's something's got to give because the new national security strategy with President Trump makes it very clear, as did President Obama's actually, that we are not going to tolerate uh, a nuclear North Korea. We, so, we mentioned um, the new uh, I shouldn't say foreign policy strategy, national security, just in general strategy that they've laid out. We talked about it on the last show. Um, we actually talked about Army Ranger Marty Scovland went on our friend Andrew Wilkow's show and talked about it. Um, but I'm still a little in the dark of what what particular particulars are different about this current um, national defense strategy than what we've had in place. Yeah, I think the big difference, Ian, is that somebody actually didn't do a big cut-and-paste job from the 10 previous national security strategies. Yeah, because not much has changed, uh, right? Um, for this one, it's wholly different. And I actually um, sent H.R. Uh, McMaster an email saying, this is a fantastic nice. job, you know, um, uh, because, I, you know, I thought That's they cool did. That's cool that you have those contacts. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, he's a great guy, great American, uh, couldn't have a better guy in there. And, and uh, you know, the as I read through it, it not only, you know, it talks about protecting the American people, and then it's got a whole, um, you know, section on that. And then it talks about uh, the prosperity of the American people. So it wraps security and the economy together. Um, and then it talks about peace through strength. And then it talks about pursuing adversaries to the source. And whether or not that's, trans, you know, the transnational actor threat is a big threat. And in all of these areas... There are actually action items inside this national security document that says, okay, action item number one must do X, Y, and Z. Action item number two must do A, B, and C. And it's their way, you know, and, and knowing uh, that we've got three Army generals, kind of, you know, the, the uh, General Kelly, General Mattis, and General McMaster, you know, they're action-oriented, and they're, and if if they're I, holding themselves accountable yes. is the big deal. And if I could jump in here, I was just going to say that there's there's widespread opinion uh, throughout the military of, and, and our writers, I think our audience, of if they think 
Trump is doing a good job, if they think the administration is doing a good job, there's always going to be debate on that type of thing. I've always said the military is not a monolith. That's certainly something I've learned working on this podcast. However, General Mattis, I have not heard a negative thing about the guy. And I think even if people are critical of Trump, they can say, I like this guy and I trust his judgment. That, that, well, that's right. And, and you know, you got you to gotta give a nod to President Trump for picking a yes. guy like Mattis and a guy like Kelly and a guy like McMaster to be in there and, and uh, you know, working hard and, and doing the nation's bidding. What you have with, with them is not only a combined about 120 years of service in uniform, but a lot of combat time. And so they really know the cost of, of combat. They know that if we go to war in North Korea, there, there will be massive loss of life, American, South Korean, North Korean, and who knows what else, depending upon the options that we employ. These are men who have been on the battlefield, have put uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines in caskets and shipped them home, have knelt at memorial services and cried over lost uh, pe- men and women that they loved as soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines. And so uh, nobody's taken this lightly at all. And I have the utmost respect for what this administration is trying to do because we can't also we cannot say oh, it's too much of a problem and and you know leave it for somebody else four or eight years down the road. We've got to take care of this problem somehow, Mm -hmm. some way. Absolutely. Um, We were talking about WikiLeaks uh, pretty briefly. I saw that, I think, on Christmas, Twitter banned Julian Assange. (laughs) We'd just like to hear your take on that. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Twitter, Twitter, I think, is, you know, an arm of of, uh, the the, uh, mainstream media almost where uh, they'll they'll give the, the tie goes to the liberal and and uh, you know not that Assange is liberal or conservative, but he's certainly done a lot of damage to uh, liberal uh, causes of, of late, and so yes. th- that probably played a big factor into that. And I don't know if you saw the you know R- Rosie O'Donnell um, going uh, nuts, uh, going nuts oh, thing, oh, and, offering what uh, <laughs> like two million dollars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, and, and, but she she said something obscene, and then. Someone called her out on it. And and was it like Ben Shapiro? I yeah, think, yeah maybe? exactly. It was Shapiro. And I think, but she, I think she offered two million dollars to senators to vote on what was it, the health care bill? Yeah, she was bribing yeah. senators. To- <laughs> I don't think that's going to work on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on Twitter. Um, and- it is interesting what they will go after and what they won't go after. Yeah, yeah it's and interesting. And there definitely is a bias there. I often say it, you know, because Twitter is almost like a Drudge Report in that it's a news aggregate. But as Drudge is, is definitely center-right-leaning, Twitter is definitely center-left-leaning. And I, I, when I say this to a lot of people, they say, well, it just matters who you're following. I'm talking about when you go on Twitter and you go into that news feed part. Right. It's always, there's always right. stories with a major left-wing bias, you know, for I've sure. noticed. And um, they're covering people with more of a left-wing bias. And I do think there has to be some... Um, bias in banning Julian Assange because yes he has been more favorable towards the right with with some of the stuff that he's putting out he was more focused on what Hillary Clinton was doing than than other things but 
This is what well, he and it may be that there just wasn't as much that he could dig out on on the other campaign, and and so that's why he he released all those Clinton documents. Who knows? I mean, that the Clinton team, you know, when when you look at what was exposed, it's massive corruption that was exposed on, on the left, and it was. Uh, just unbelievable some of the things that came out and and to this day we're seeing with the FBI and and how you know the lead investigator on the Clinton email scandal uh, was a huge Clinton supporter yep. go figure and actually using his actual FBI email address to uh, send you know, supportive emails for uh, Hillary Clinton which is against the law so yeah. um I'm looking at, at our live stream right now. A lot of great feedback coming in. Robert uh, Bert, Bertow, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, says he pre-ordered the book. Must be here tomorrow. Um, I was even seeing, before I get to a question I saw here, Converged Sheaf uh, on YouTube says, this guy was my brigade commander. Nice <laughs> guy. I'm happy he's doing well. Or it might be Converged Chef. Sheath, a sheath, converged sheath means uh, is artillery term. Where, okay, where, this shows what I know. Yeah, or, um, or converged chef would be you know cooking two yeah, eggs yeah. at once. I but just, you know, con- converged sheath uh, is is an artillery term for getting all the all the rounds right on one. I'm just one wondering target. if you, you know who it is who says that he worked with you. But um, uh, well, you know, I had four thousand troops, and yes. I'm glad there's an, an air assault trooper from uh, Strike Brigade. Um, uh, and I, I, I hope uh, he's doing well, and, and uh, thanks for the, the comment. So the questions are coming in. Once again, pick up direct fire today. Um, our favorite sailor, who always says, uh, good morning, shipmates. I can't do Gene Farnsworth's voice, but he always <laughs> he sends us voice memos regularly. Great guy. Um, he asks, please share your favorite duty station tour and why it was your favorite. Oh, you know, undoubtedly, um, uh, 82nd Airborne Division, Fort Bragg, uh, you know, and it's hard to do because, you know, 101st, 10th Mountain, all great units. And uh, But I would say that when I first arrived at the 82nd Airborne Division, the the elan there, the acceptance, the the culture, the uh, jump master duties, the jumping out of an airplane, the history uh, and it was uh, part of it was the timing. I was there in the early '90s, and and we had all these World War II veterans every year coming back during All American Week and and meeting just really famous four jump, uh, you know, the Sicily Salerno, uh, Saint Mary Glees, uh, uh France D Day, and and uh, Holland uh, jumps. And you know, these are legends in our time that were still alive then that and now you know 20 some years later there um, most of them have passed but uh, being able to talk to them and and just really live that and I and I had a lot of this in the 101st airborne as well and so it's really hard to distinguish between the two but as a young officer I came into the 82nd airborne division and it was just such a great experience that this was the real army. This was where I wanted to be. This is why I signed up. And and you have sergeants in charge of hundred paratroopers in the back of an aircraft, and and putting them out the door. And it the back door of an aircraft doesn't care if you're a private or a general. You better get out that that door right. You know, uh, up six, out thirty six, and and uh, you know get get into the slipstream and hold tight and count to four thousand and and then you know execute a proper parachute landing fall. And 
It sounds, it, and, and, and you can curse on here, but it sounds pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it is awesome. It is awesome. And, and uh, you know, the, the great thing about it was the non-commissioned officer corps was so, is so strong and powerful because they're in charge every day of, of paratroopers and the safety of paratroopers. And it's real life and death every day in the 82nd Airborne Division. And, and so that, that was sort of my indoctrination into real special elite units with Elon. And 101st was great as well. You know, all the air assault uh, power you've got there, 10th Mountain, great as well. And and what you saw was there was this rotation between those three units. So you kind of got to know everybody uh, as you kept serving in one or the other in the 18th Airborne Corps. And so I would say the 18th Airborne Corps, because it's really one degree different between 82nd, 101st, 10th Mountain. And, and you were in the Rapid Reaction Corps, and you were, you were, you know, at on two-hour recall, and you were ready to go, and and there was that sense of urgency, and and that's why, um, you know, I can I can talk about this all day because you can tell it gets me excited. Right? <laughs> yeah, so. it sounds like it was just a huge rush to be a part of that. Yes, yes. Um, all right, getting into other things, I thought this was interesting here, George Talent. Um, and this is a good question back to what we were just talking about before. Have sanctions ever really worked on these type of regimes like North Korea? Historically, looking at Cuba, Iran, etc., sanctions do not appear to work. Are you optimistic with these new sh- sanctions against North Korea? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not optimistic that the sanctions will produce any kind of immediate effect. What I am optimistic about is that the sanctions mean that we are continuing to negotiate and and that that there must be something happening behind the scenes that is creating the need for more sanctions and not immediate military action and so uh, what what the sanctions mean to me and that we haven't gone all the way because there there's more that we could do uh in in a more uh, meaningful way and not that these aren't meaningful they are they're they're very harmful to north korea but there is more that we could do, and and so what that tells me is we're we're just you know narrowing that zone of of possible agreement. You know, in negotiations, you have what's called the zone of possible agreement and the ZOPA, and and we're narrowing that down each time. You know, we're we're moving down toward. You know, look, it's either going to be you get out of here or you give up your nuclear weapons or both, and we'll give you an option, but. Uh, and and what what North Korea believes it has, um, and and rightfully so. I mean, they've got they've got a ace up their sleeve here with eight thousand artillery tubes, uh, you know, near or on the DMZ, and four thousand rocket launchers. So that's twelve thousand systems that can basically range about fifteen to twenty million people in Seoul. Plus, it's a one minute MIG flight from the demilitarized zone to Seoul. So that's you know, even if we put a, a nuke down the smokestack of Pyongyang and, you know, try to call it a day, that's one pull of 12,000 systems uh, and, and, and you're going to have a lot of rocket fire and, and artillery fire converge sheaths on, uh, on um, uh, Seoul. And there's about a quarter million Americans living in uh, South Korea. Uh, there's a long history of, uh, you know, American servicemen and women being there. And there's been a lot of uh, marriages and families and that kind of thing. So that, you know, Korea is very much a, a 
ally and a friend and someone we that we have a huge interest in, a vital Absolutely. interest in. And, and it's part of that first protection piece of the new national security strategy. So am I confident that the sanctions will work? No. Am I confident that this means that we're, we're, we've got some more runway to do some more talking before we go to war? Yes. Good answer. Um, by the way, Conferred Chief says he was in a 81 mm mortar. Yeah, 81 right? millimeter mortar. Yeah. Yeah, Roger. Yeah. Uh, Carry on asks, what is the level of Iranian support to North Korea? Yeah, I think uh, that's a, a good question that works both ways. You could ask it, what's North Korea prime to provide to Iran as well, as far as uh, transfer and trade? I'll, I'll tell you, when I was in the Balkans, way back in the mid-1990s, uh, I was involved in Bosnia and Kosovo, Macedonia, and all, all of the Croatia, all of that. We traced a lot of support for that to Iran, and then that lit up networks that went to North Korea. And I, I, you know, I need to be careful what I say here, but there, there is Iranian support to North Korea, and there is a North Korean support to Iran, and that is on everybody's radar because those are the two countries that, <clears throat> if you remember, President Bush had the axis of evil, right? Iraq, Iran, and yep. North Korea, and so Iraq is is sort of okay right now, and uh, but Iran and North Korea surprise, surprise, continue to be thorns in our side. And, and uh, the trade and uh, they are, they're closed societies, so that they're very problematic. They are closed societies, and they have a lot of ungoverned space, particularly in Iran, not, not so much in North Korea, but the ungoverned space is, is an area, particularly along the west-eastern border with Afghanistan and Iran, that's where a lot of this poppy and, and guns and, and uh, you know, back when I was uh, deputy commander in Afghanistan, we saw a, a lot of the explosively formed penetrators starting to come in that way, a lot of the, the uh, roadside bomb materials coming in from Iran because, you know, the, the Shia were totally interested in doing whatever they could to, uh, to kill, maim, hurt Americans. And so that has not changed, and uh, there is support between North Korea and Iran, and it works both ways. Well said. Um, and I'm looking, we, we have more questions coming in. I'll, uh, oh, Adam K says, Ian rocking the beard. Thank you. <laughs> I, uh, the last time you see me, I didn't have the beard. You know, it's, like That's a, right. it's a seasonal thing, I feel like, because in the winter, it's good to have. Right, right. Um, I, will, I will probably shave it off as it gets warmer, but thank you, Adam. <laughs> uh, Tara Gavin. I love your books. How much of your experience plays into Jake's journey? Writing is a very courageous profession and very personal. How do you deal with the global and the personal parts of your career? Um, and then she also added, I want to hear more about you as a writer. You're an amazing writing talent. So she's a big fan. <laughs> well, Tara, Tara is an awesome lady, and she's a, a you know, great, great book editor. And um, so... You know, for me, uh, the the creative process, uh, I think that's what Tara's getting at, sure. is a uh, creative process. It, it, it is a very per personal thing, and it does take courage. And I get a lot of people who um, 
ask me about uh, writing and they want to be writers, you know, so many people want to be writers and so many people feel creative and want to be able to articulate that into a book. And it's a lot harder than they think. Yeah, it it is hard. And, you know, Stephen King, Tom Clancy both had sort of paraphrased advice that if you want to write, then be a writer. And so I've been a writer. I, I can remember even at West Point after Lights Out with my flashlight on and Spiral Bound Notebook that I still have that some of the characters from my very first couple of novels, I, you know, I just started writing out after reading about how to how to do writing and that kind of, you know, how to write a mystery or how to write a thriller. And, and it was just intriguing to me because this has always been a goal of mine to, to be a, a fiction author. And, but, you know, it takes some courage to put your stuff out there and then people review it on Amazon. And, you know, thankfully, you know, most of the people give my books, uh, you know, good reviews. But I think all your books I've seen are five star. Yeah, there, right? right, right. And, uh, but there are a few people that, you know, take There's a jab. Yeah, right. There's always going to be that. But that's, you know, you take that personal. Like I put, you know, so much blood, sweat and tears in, into this book. And, and now I put it out there. And that's, I think that's what Tara's talking about. It, it takes courage to sort of reveal yourself in a book. And in my, in my stories, I, I, you know, a lot of people say, how much of you is Jake, Jake Mahegan? And I'm like, well, Jake Mahegan's a six and a half foot tall Native American. <laughs> that's not me. No. Uh, but, you know, his thought process. So when I talked about me thinking uh, through the, the uh, problem set as a commander and what's the worst thing the enemy could do to my troops and then how do I develop course of action A, B, and C, I, there's probably some of that thought process in Jake, and I get a lot of good feedback uh, in the form of emails and conversations that they, they love getting inside Jake's mind and seeing, okay, if I do option A, this is potential. If I do option B, this is potential. If I do option C, this is a potential result. And and so there's some of that in Jake's thought process that I think uh, you know I take the reader into and, and show them Okay, here's a here's a guy sort of using deductive reasoning and choosing the best action, and, and he and he does it miraculously fast because he's a combat seasoned veteran, and and so he's able to look at one, two, three, and then make a decision in in a second or two, and and so for for me that's that's where the part that uh, comes out from inside of me. And of course, everything comes out uh, from me as I sit down and write these books and. And I and I just really get into the head of the protagonist, the antagonist, the the you know the love interest, all of that. I they you can put your kind of mind inside. What would this person be thinking? I, I'm, at this li- moment, I'm like right? an actor or an actress. I'm inside that person's mind, and I'm thinking, well, what what would the response be, or what what would you know he or she say or do, and. And then pretty soon, as, you, as, as you've written, as you're writing the book, they do become sort of live characters that take you in different directions. And it's a really fun, interesting process because, you know, I'll have, um, you know, I, I don't do a whole lot of outlining. I do a little bit. I know where I want to go from, you know, uh, start uh, opening scene to act one which is, you know, about 30,000 words, then act one to act two, another 30,000 words, and act two to the finale, which is about another 30,000 words. You know, 80 to 100,000 words is your average throw. And, but, so I'll have those guideposts, but not a whole lot of content in between there. And then these characters actually provide that content for me as, I, as I'm writing. And that may sound strange, but it's just 
how I write. And, and I get it. Yeah. So I, I mean, the the way I could relate, I don't know if you got a chance to see it. Um, that documentary on Netflix, Jim and Andy, about Jim Candy, uh, Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman. I don't know if you saw it. It's uh, it's out there now, though. Um, but yeah, Jim Carrey did not break character that entire Man on the Moon movie. Right. It's almost like what you're saying. You're getting in the head of these people. I could relate to what you're saying, though, with people saying, I want to write a book. How do Because I get the same thing with, I want to do a podcast. Right, I want to be a right. radio host. And it is it is not as easy as, as people think. Because a lot of people will say, you know, I'm funny, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. But that's not everything to it. Right. Um, you know, the beauty of, of Howard Stern or even an Oprah Winfrey, they ask questions that allow these people to be candid. So... I'm doing the same thing in some way. I'm thinking, what question could I ask General Teta that he's going to have a lot of knowledge on? Right. And it's the same thing from what you're saying. There are all these different creative processes for different things. You're thinking, what position could I put Jake Mahegan in where he's really going to shine and that people are going to be excited to read about? Or, or, or what position could I put Jake Mahegan in where he has no chance of yeah. survival? And, and, and how's he going to get out? And of how's it? he going to get out of it? And and that's that that's that whole tension piece where you just want. Uh, the the reader needs. How's he gonna how's how's he gonna figure this out? That makes <laughs> me wonder though. Is there is there almost um, you know people reading these books know that there in the end there is going to be another Jake Mahegan novel? Is that almost a giveaway to the reader <laughs> that he is going to survive somehow? Because they well, know he's going to show. You, you've said you plan on keeping these books going. So if Jake Mahegan dies, yeah. no more Jake Mahegan novels. Yeah, well, um, you know, Kinzenden will ultimately determine whether or not Jake Mahegan lives or dies. But, uh, you know, and they're a great publisher. And and um, the uh, Jake Mahegan, uh, you know, like Jack Reacher, you know, people, there's, what, 22 or so Jack Reacher books that Lee Child has written. And, and yeah, you know, the the key for me is to get Mahegan in these situations, and it's not so much is he going to live or die, but is the problem going to be solved? Is the conflict going to be resolved in a positive way? And for Jake, um, his his real conflict, his inner conflict that sort of is his arc through every book is he just wants to settle down and, and find a good woman and, and have a family because he had that sort of taken away from him. And, and so when, he, when he's in combat in the, in the very first Mahegan book, Foreign and Domestic, the very first chapter, so I'm not giving anything away, uh, but he, he accidentally kills an enemy prisoner of war when that pr- enemy prisoner of war uses a Siri voice command on his iPhone to detonate a bomb under his best friend's vehicle. The guy tries to escape, and he's trying to butt-stroke him just to knock him down, but he, he, we think in the book he accidentally kills him. But, you know, he's got this fury and rage and, and so forth. And, and so Jake just took some time off, and I've written a biography on Jake, so I, I read that before I start every book. Uh, that's a, you know, a tip out to all the, all the writers uh, out there uh, so that I, I'm grounded in who Jake Mahegan is. And his real conflict is, you know, he, he was trying to, you know, he's lost his family of Delta Force and the Army, and, and he lost his family prior to that, and, and now um, his, his true family. And, and now he's, he's looking for, and, he, and every, you know, he, he, he meets uh, love interests, uh, you know, every now and then, and, 
And Wait, Amy's six foot. Yeah, tall. he's, he's a good-looking guy. Yeah, American he's a good-looking guy that yeah. protects women, and and uh, so he's. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, um, it, you know, duty calls or this this um, you know desire to to have a peaceful life and. And he's he's got this code that he lives by, right? And he's got to he's got to um, you know return the call to duty, uh, so to speak. And and that's that's really his conflict and that he's torn between. And in the in foreign and domestic, the very first book um, in the series, I, I describe it as sort of he's sitting there, haven't tried to escape from being involved in any kind of combat. Warfare. He's in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and, and he finds himself sitting there with a pistol, a rifle, a rope. He's had to knock a guy out uh, because he, he suddenly found out that the technology that uh, was in the bomb uh, that uh, killed his best friend was actually American-made, and it was made in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and um, he's there right where um, it was being made. And he makes this discovery, and he's got these tools of war. And I say it's kind of like a boomerang that has come back down and in his lap. And and so that's that's Jake's inner conflict. And that's, uh, I, I think, getting back to a little bit of what Tara was asking about. Absolutely. Um, we'll get to some more questions. I also know you want to sign some books, and we'll get to the meaning behind that. Um, but I do, before we do all that, want to get into this China story because I felt like this was just really interesting. <laughs> yeah. came out today. Super interesting. I mean, you're laughing, but for this guy, this is not exactly a laughing matter. Um, so this is from Reuters. China hands down harshest sentence yet in crackdown on activists. Uh, this is from Beijing. China sentenced a prominent rights activist to eight years in jail for subversion on Tuesday, his lawyer said. The harshest sentence passed in a government crackdown on activism that began more than two years ago. In a separate case, a rights lawyer avoided criminal punishment despite being found guilty of inciting subversion because he admitted to his crimes. The Chinese court trying him said Wu Gan, a blogger better known by his online name, which I know you loved, Super Vulgar Butcher <laughs> plans to appeal against the eight-year sentence handed down by the uh, Tian, Tianjin. Am I saying that right? I'm getting uh, pronounced Tiananmen. Tiananmen, right. Yeah. Well, it's uh, T-I-A-N-J-I-N. So, yeah, Tianjin. Okay. Yeah, municipalities number two intermediate people's court. His lawyer, Yan Zin, uh, told Reuters the harshness of the sentence prompted the German embassy in Beijing to issue a statement expressing disappointment. Wu regularly champions sensitive cases of government abuses of power, both online and in street protests. He was detained in May of 2015 and charged with subversion. The activist criticized China's political system online and used performance art to create disturbances as well as insulting people and spreading false information, according to a statement from the court uh, posted on its website. He carried out a string of criminal actions to subvert state power and overthrow the socialist system and seriously harmed state security and social stability, the court said. Before his arrest, Wu used his platform to cast doubt on the official version of events in an incident in early May 2015 in which a police officer shot a petitioner and a train station uh, in northern Hai... Hail, my pronunciation is going to be wrong in this one. Heilong Zhang uh, province. Wu's refusal to bow to pressure or admit guilt likely explains his harsh sentence, said Kit Chan, 
uh, Hong Kong-based director of China Human Rights Lawyers Concern Group. There's more to this story, but you know, I'll I'll end it there, and you can check this out by Christian Shepherd on Reuters. But the the main thing I got out of it uh, is that in in these countries like China, you often hear a lot of criticism in America about speaking out against government. Right. Um, but luck, luckily, we do have constitutional rights and these type of things. And when when terrible things happen whether it is an isolated incident of a police shooting gone wrong or something, there's going to be protests, there's going to be some type of action. And in China, I mean, just to put it bluntly, they really don't fuck around if you, <laughs> if you, if you have any criticism right. of their system of government. Right. And, I mean, I would say this guy is, is a hero because it, you know, yes, it takes rights, to, it takes guts, I should say, to be a journalist in America and to write about things that are going on that you want to speak out against. But when you do that in China the the risks are huge i mean eight years in prison for basically just getting out information and doing performance art as they said it's crazy when you hear this yeah. but it's not a surprise with what china does the, the biggest thing i get out of that is um if tara gavin is still listening or, or if, if gary goldstein my editor uh from kensington is listening then Super Vulgar Butcher needs to be the title <laughs> of my next book. Uh, I, I, I think Gary would love that. So um, <laughs> Super Vulgar Butcher. And, and um, you know, that uh, Gary, Gary loves titling books, and, and uh, that's, uh, he's, he always picks out a great title in, in conjunction with me. So uh, let's, let's put Super Vulgar Butcher on, on the list. <laughs> and, um, you, you know, you're right, Ian. The... I hope that by now no one in the United States uh, takes for granted their um, liberties, uh, First Amendment rights, and and the Constitution in general, and the fact that we do have a free press. and And even if there's tension today between you know the uh, the, the you know quote unquote mainstream media and you know the fake news and and all that. I mean that that tension I think is healthy for democracy because you, you've got uh, varying different uh, varying viewpoints. Uh, Madison called it the violence of factions, and so you have different factions that come up with uh, these you know different ideas and different interpretations, and you know somebody somebody can look at uh, you know the same thing and and have a, a one eighty viewpoint, and that's okay. We're America. We can deal with that, and we have the institutions to deal with that. What's happening in China is not okay, and and uh, you know it's their government, and they're so they're going to do what they do. And this is why, in many respects, while China is to be feared, they, they have a massive army, they have a nuclear arsenal. Uh, sometimes they have a hard time getting out of their way because they just they're more worried about internal control than they are about power projection and all of that they see themselves as the middle kingdom and and they're 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 you know perfectly happy with where they are they're doing great economic uh trade with uh, most of the world to include the united states mostly and and so they they try to have it and f- frankly do in many ways have it both ways they have a terrible human rights record but they have this very significant trade uh, with us uh, and in other countries, so it's um, it's just one of those things that where China uh, 
you know, cracking down on somebody for criticizing the government. Think about that. I mean, you know, uh, think about how many people would need to be cleaned up off of Twitter or, you know, you know, whatever. Regardless, not just off of Twitter. Uh, I mean, yeah. If they're going to you know, Facebook you. or, you know, whatever. I, I mean, mean, there was criticism over the president blocking citizens in America on Twitter, which, right. you know. We'll, yeah, we'll see where that regard, goes. Regardless of who's president, whether it's President Trump, President Obama, you had people criticizing President Obama, you have people yeah, criti- criticizing it's just President Trump. Put and, things into perspective. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, think about it. And and so, you know, it'd be like half the country because yeah. it's we're a very divided country right now. But we have these outlets where people can voice their opinions and, and, and can have these discussions. Sometimes, you know, I kind of cringe at the abusive nature of the discussion because I'm a solutions-oriented guy, and, and the, the ideology always comes second to me where the solution should come first. I and, agree. And, and I think that's, that's the beauty of this website. We're the same way. Um, right. And we're not a right-wing or a left-wing website. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's why you have such great followership. And, and so many people just, you know, the, a lot of people like uh, the noise, but most people don't like the noise. People want to hear about solutions. And they want to hear real answers to real questions. And, and From experts like uh, yourself, to well, be fair. You. I mean, because we just had Jack Devine on the podcast, former CIA, who was there since the 60s. And it's like to hear him give his take for an hour the same way you are, you don't get to hear that on the mainstream media. I mean, I know you're on CNN and Fox today, but you'll be on there for a quick five-minute hit. It's like we don't get to hear you candid giving your take on all this stuff. And unfortunately, on all these news stations, I'm not singling out any of them, sometimes the people who are giving their perspective on foreign policy are lawyers or just random commentators with no experience. I want to hear from a guy who was a brigadier general about what should be done with North Korea. And we don't hear enough of that. And I right. actually do think that's why people are going to alternative media to hear this right. type of thing. I, I agree with you. Because, you know, even as, as great as Fox and CNN are, you know, they... Uh, you know, you've got basically four to six minutes to maybe to sell to, a buck. To, well, or to to get your viewpoint out there. Sure. Not you know because I do a lot of that, and it's not uh, you know ninety percent of the time it's not about the book. It's I, about yeah, it's about sure. the topic, and and so uh, to try to explain things in a very three to five minute uh, period of time where it's cut in half because you know the anchor's uh, getting her or his uh, point of view in there, which is uh, great for the discourse. But I mean, that's you know, you're you're basically talking about sound bites. Well, I, I me- I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast, so pardon me if you've heard me tell this story before. But I, you know, I will relate it to you because you're working with the guy. I remember Hannity did one of these panel shows where they've got all these different people on almost bleachers, right. answering all different stuff. And our friend Nick Irving was on there. They're asking all different types of stuff, and then they go into topics about ISIS. And some lawyer is running his <laughs> mouth for like five minutes, and I'm, you know, I don't, I you rarely get excited with this at, about this type of thing, but I'm looking at the TV like, go to Nick Irving, right? You know, he's actually right. been there. Yeah. He knows what goes on with that. I don't care what some lawyer has to say, right? And it, it frustrated me because I think the only time Nick talked was Sean said something to the effect of. Uh, I'd love to go shooting with you sometime. You know, Nick Irving, Army Ranger, sniper. And he was like, anytime. But I would have loved to have heard his take on all the ISIS stuff. So it's just that that's the thing with the podcast. I think that people love is that we get to go so in depth. And uh, yeah, it's it's great. Um, Antonio Montana was asking, will this book be in Barnes and Noble? Of course yeah. it will. Everywhere books are sold. Yeah, and 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 I'm signing. Yeah, it's, I was gonna it's everywhere. Right it's everywhere books are sold, and I'm I, I'm actually going to sign the stock at the 
Barnes and Noble on uh, Fifth Avenue here at 1 p.m. And uh, one of the things we're doing, you can uh, go to my website, ajtata.com. And these books I've got stacked up here are just symbolic of we're, we're sending uh, books uh, over the troops in Bagram. And I've got the uh, Pat Tillman Center USO um, address on, on on my website, ajtata.com. And uh, what you can do is uh, you can uh, go to that and go buy a copy of Direct Fire and just send it uh, to the USO and and in uh, the Pat Tillman Center in, in Bagram and and the address is on my website, which is ajtata.com. And and so I'm I'm sending a bunch of books over there that I'm going to sign and and uh, box them up. Today's Boxing Day, so yep. we figured we'd do uh, Boxing Day uh, signing for the troops in Afghanistan. My good friend uh, General Mick Nicholson is uh, uh, General John Nicholson. Somebody. Uh, correct. I was on CNN talking, and somebody tweeted, "Hey, you know, act like you, you know, you need to correct yourself." <laughs> hey, he goes by Mick. All right, and they thought I was calling him MC Nicholson, and but Mick is uh, the commander over there, the four-star commander, and uh, he's a great guy. And you know, we got about twelve thousand troops over there. And I'll tell you, I started a lot of my authors uh, that I like to read just from picking up a free book that's uh, somewhere. Uh, in in uh, you know the headquarters at Bagram or in Kandahar or Kosovo or you know wherever I've served and been in combat and so we're going to uh, ship a bunch of these over and uh, I welcome uh, all your listeners to go to my website and uh, donate a book to the troops and and uh, certainly um, I, I know that uh, it's appreciated during the holidays to receive you know anything you know uh, if you don't feel like donating a book write a to any soldier. Uh, letter. I, I can tell you, I took those out to the to the uh, border uh, uh, forward operating bases along the Pakistan border, and and they just make a difference. The troops will smell them, they'll they'll read them, and, and they'll be written by you know just everybody from you know adults to children, and and they'll pin them up in their hooch, and and the, and it's just it makes a difference. So whether it's a book or a, or a card during this time, uh, and and uh, you know. There, there are people, leaders in Afghanistan or Syria or Iraq, wherever our troops are, um, Niger, um, that will get these things to the troops, and and they'll they'll bag them up and they'll they'll fly them in a helicopter out and do a dump and and you know I'm I'm sending a whole bunch of direct fires over there. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll I'll break the fourth wall as they say, and and I you know we plan this interview like months ahead of time, and I remember originally you were gonna have someone here boxing up books to send over to troops, and it's awesome to hear you giving back. I was just like. This place is pretty small, as <laughs> yeah. you can kind of see. Yeah. So the, U- I, the UPS guy is right outside. So, yeah, I was yeah. like, I don't know if we can yeah. pull this off. But yeah, th- these books, as you said, will be signed, going out, hundreds more going out. I know that right. you're someone who's all about giving back. Um, yeah, if you want to sign them yeah, right gonna, now. Yeah, I'm going to sign them right now while we're go, live on air. Go for and, it. And, um, and go, to, go to ajtata.com, as yeah. we said. If you So people can send them to... to um, Guys that they know, uh, men and women stationed overseas. Yeah, so it, it's uh, they they could, but you know, if it goes to the USO, the USO will just distribute them uh, and and get them out to the troops everywhere. And, and and the Pat Tillman Center is the the address, and and it's on my ajtata.com website. Yeah, so if you want to give back, that's the way to do it. ajtata.com. 
uh, you know, and these guys will really appreciate it. Yeah, so and I should they, say these men and women, of course. Right, the men and women. Yeah. And and if you just go there, you get that address, and you go to barnesandnoble.com or, you know, any of the other uh, retailers, or you go to a bookstore, go to your local bookstore and, and uh, ship a book. Uh, but, you know, the, the shipping, if you're a barnesandnoble.com member, the shipping is free to an APO address, which it, uh, the USO Center is. So... Amazon uh, Prime probably. Yeah, too, Amazon right? Prime would ship you free. Send them, you could send yeah. them to any other address if you're a Prime yeah, member. That, that's so. right. That's yeah. right. And so you can just gift a book. And um, you know the the troops. Uh, I get a lot of email from downrange uh, overseas. So cool. The troops love uh, these books, and and I love sending them over there. And and we do every every book that comes out. I choose something a little bit different. Last last book, Besiege, back in March. Uh, we sent a bunch of books to the VA hospitals. I, I signed them, and we sent them to VA hospitals around the country. And and so uh, I, I just try to do something different. It's part of my social mission uh, to do that. That's great, yeah. Um, one last question. As I said, that we're on Twitch, so we actually do have uh, questions coming in on Twitch, which, like I said, is a little newer, but we're trying to you know, go into every avenue where people do these live streams, and we're getting great feedback. Um and I know you, you got to go. You got other stuff going on. So we'll get to this one last one. Uh, the Donut Goon, which I do love the name. Uh, as a commander of troops in combat, what was one of your proudest moments while leading troops? Great question. Wow. Yeah. So so many of those. Um, I, I, I would have to say um, that uh, a young captain. I, I had um, uh, been uh, telling. Uh, so this segues perfectly. I, I, I'd been telling him that it was 2006, December, uh, Afghanistan. I was in Bagram. I was the deputy commanding general there. And uh, we had uh, the Korangal outpost. Many of you have probably watched the movie Korangal. And that was the unit that followed the 10th Mountain. I was uh, in the 10th Mountain Division at the time. And, and uh, you know, we had about 25,000 troops in Afghanistan. And the, the, uh, I'd been telling this uh, Captain uh, Jimmy McKnight that I would come out to um, his uh, Korangal outpost, and I was bringing bags of too many soldier letters and boxes and everything, and so I told my aide, just bag everything up, and so I said, I'll come spend the night with you um, Christmas Eve, uh, and that's what every captain wants, right, as a general to spend the night in their in their base camp, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, usually they like a 15-minute visit and get, get out of there, <laughs> but... Uh, so snowy, foggy, uh, everything can't fly, and it's about a two-hour helicopter flight. It's right along the Pakistan border, you know, about a few miles in, and right on that rat line. That, uh, that this is this is the area where Lone Survivor happened. Everybody who's watched the Lone Survivor movie or read that book, this is the exact same area where all that happened. And we did a big air assault when we first got there, and, and took command of that area, and uh, killed or captured uh, about 200 Taliban um, and and Al Qaeda that were operating in that area. And we came in about six months after the Lone Survivor incident had wow. had occurred. So uh, that that was important to us to sort of um, you know stand up for the men that had fallen there. And and so we did that. And and so about a year later, December of '06, um, I'm coming in on my helicopter, and it's a pretty well. Uh, so Christmas Eve didn't happen. I said, all right, New Year's Eve. Uh, well, the same thing. And and so I, I told my aide, first flyable day. And uh, we, we um, are January 5th, 2007. 
um, so 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago now, uh, come flying in, and, and it's one of those things where you, you, you just know something's wrong, You're, and uh, there had been a lot of combat that morning in that general area. We're flying in, you see holes appearing in the side of the helicopter, and you know you're not popping rivets, and, and the left engine catches on fire, and we do what the pilots call a hard landing in, in the base camp there um, because it's less paperwork and uh, then calling it a crash. And, and Jimmy McKnight comes up to me, and we're piling out of the helicopter, and he grabs me by, uh, I love this, he grabs me by the body armor, and he said, sir, the last thing I need is a dead general in my base camp. And I said, you know, Jimmy, I'll try to make you a happy man today. And, you know, there's, uh, uh, we're in a three-sided ambush. There's machine gun fire, RPGs flying everywhere. The crew chief got out of the helicopter to, you know, open the door. And the left engine's on fire. And the, and the pilots power up and they rip the ICS cord, you know, like, like this thing out of his helmet. And he's left standing there uh, as, you know, they shut down the left engine and power up with the right engine and, and bail. And we have an Apache gunship there. Jimmy McKnight stood there. And, and right next to us, this Sergeant Vile gets shot. Mm-hmm. And, and he gets shot in the arm. And we're, we're moving to the to the headquarters, the, the, um, you know, he had a dugout down there and a, a little command post bunker. And this sergeant was bleeding hard. He tied off his own tur- tourniquet and, uh, he's working on the mortar ballistic computer. So the, you know, converged sheath, the 81 millimeter mortar guy, we had a, we had a, a mortar out there, a, a four deuce mortar and, uh, the or they they did. I, I was part of that team uh, by that time. Uh, we were in combat, returning fire, and all that. And uh, the the um, uh, he's he's got his arm held like this. He's dripping blood on the floor, and and he's absolutely uh, going into shock. And I turn to the medic and I say, "You might want to look at this guy." Meanwhile, I'm calling Bagram to get air support. And, um, you know, Jimmy is uh, commanding and controlling his troops. And Sergeant Vile um, pushes uh, the medic away and says, I'll let you know when you can work on me. And he keeps working on his mortar ballistic computer. He keeps shaking because he's going into shock and he's still bleeding on the floor. And I'm like, where do we get these guys? You know, and, and he is taking calls from the forward observer. And, uh, you know, the medic comes over there on his own accord, uh, you know, a few minutes later and he says, get away from me. That's not exactly what he said, but... Um, you can say whatever <laughs> you want in here. This is Well, you know, uh, and, and he said, get away from me. And, and um, uh, then shortly thereafter, you hear the mortar go off, and it's a first-round hit. He had done his job so well that uh, he had inputted the data so well, he, and, and he calculated the machine gun, the main machine gun that was putting bullets through the roof of the uh, command post, uh, stopped. And I... And, then he put he takes the mortar ballistic computer, pushes it. This is a sergeant, pushes it to a private who's his assistant. He turns to the medic and he says, "You can work on me now." That's my proudest moment, mm-hmm. probably in all of my career, Amazing. is to think about this young man is is wounded. So we medevac him out there. They sent another helicopter that night, and you know we you know we left about ten hours later, and you know it's about a ninety minute two hour firefight and. Uh, we, I pin his purple heart on the next morning, and and then they fly him to Landstuhl, and in Germany, the hospital there. And then they he spends two months in Walter Reed, two months 
having his arm reconstructed. And that's, that's how severe that was. You know, he was hit with a Dishka machine gun round, and which, you know, tore bone and flesh apart. This kid, this soldier, this man did his mission before he let the medic work on him. And, and I get emotional about it. So, Of course. Yeah. I mean, these guys are, we've talked about on the show before, they're, they're not truly these superhumans. They have fear like everybody else. But right. in those moments, they just allow that fear to go. Yeah, his adrenaline kept him going. going. His adrenaline sort of you know, made it so that he, he, he could focus on his task versus that. You know, I, I have no idea what, what was going on in his mind. All I know is he did exactly what he was supposed to do as a uh, mortar ballistic computer um, fire direction officer, and he did that. Yeah, that's truly heroic. Yeah. Guys, where else are you going to hear these stories <laughs> besides Soft Rep Radio from General AJ Tata? Wrapping things up here as a reminder for all those who are listening, for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to Soft Rep TV, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. Soft TV's premier show, Training Cell, follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to Soft TV. That's at softreptv.us and take advantage of a limited time offer of 50% off your membership. That's only $4.99 a month. And then also, of course, Crate Club. If you haven't gotten a chance to check out the SoftRep Crate Club, you're definitely going to want to do that ASAP. It's a subscription to get a box of badass tactical and survival gear delivered to your door every month. Here's the kicker. All of the gear is handpicked and tested by former special ops guys, so you know you're going to get quality gear that's going to work when you need it to. Crates we've sent in the past have included gear like custom knives, multi-tools, fire starters, EDC med kits. I, I, I'm always carrying stuff like from Crate Club. Like I even have the in my wallet the old multi-tool that we have. This was like the earliest Crate Club. Right. To have this in your wallet at all times is pretty damn cool. I guess I should put it up to the screen. I know there's the delay on um, Facebook. And if you're listening to the podcast, the visual isn't really working. But uh, this thing is amazing to have. Um, you know, it's like a bottle opener as, as a, um, you know, like a saw if you needed to. And then as, as a weapon on the fly, they're just always putting out awesome stuff. I don't have it on today, but the, um, survival belt, we have a belt that has an led light. It's got a pocket knife in there. And the thing that I've said is that no one, it's like very discreet looking. No one would know that you're bringing that into anywhere. Right. Uh, so it's just so cool to have that we have all this great stuff. Um, so to subscribe and start getting your gear, visit CrateClub.us. We also have gift options available. That's CrateClub.us. Of course, you can check out AJ Tata on Facebook uh, and also AJTata.com, at AJ Tata on Twitter. That's You're right there. <laughs> this happened last I, uh, yeah, time. I think Is this a tradition out. that every yeah. time you're in here, you do still have coffee. Or do you want some of my water here? I need your whiskey. Go, go for it. Yeah. All uh, you. No, no, you I'm can good. take whatever you want. You, you are welcome. Well, to I, I did three TV shows, and now I've talked for an hour. So. I just think it's funny that this has happened, and it happened at the end right. both times you've right. been on. So you you have to do it a third yeah. time. Right. It's, it's your cue that, like, I got to get out of here. Uh, so, yeah. At, and it's AJTATA on Twitter, 
AJ Tata underscore author on Instagram. Direct Fire, the fourth in the Jake Mahegan series, is out today. Pick it up everywhere books are sold. And then, of course, we're looking forward to May 8th, where Reaper Ghost Target, the first of another series, the Vic Harwood series, is going to come out with our friend Nick the Reaper Irving. Um, If you could talk, any last words? No, hey, (laughs) thanks to everybody. Thanks, Ian. You're you're great. Thank you. uh, I think your listeners are great. (laughs) And and I am completely talked out because I did three TV shows this morning and an hour here. So Over an hour here. I think we went, I think we went, let's see. we went over, we went just about an hour and a half. So okay, this was great. excellent. Um, covered a real wide array of subjects, everything from North Korea to Iran to the book. Yeah, good session. And I'm headed over to Barnes & Noble. If you could talk. Well, I'm not doing a reading, <laughs> thank, thank God. So, uh, But I'll be signing books on the Fifth Avenue Barnes & Noble. Awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. We've got some great feedback on this one. Um, and we'll have another episode up for you guys on Friday. Uh, Jack Murphy is going to be back next month, which our editor-in-chief um, just shot a show on Discovery Channel right. about the mysterious death of uh, Nikola Tesla. Mm-hmm. So that should be pretty interesting. Right. Um, as always, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rep Radio. And uh, we're out. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a Team Room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at softreprepradio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.